0: But God said to Jonah, Do you do do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, In which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? The word of the Lord.
1: A reading from the letter of Paul to the Philippians. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in for the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether i come and see you or am absent i may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel the word of the lord be, God. please
2: stand this is the gospel of our lord jesus christ according to luke you, Lord Christ. He entered Jericho and was passing through and behold there was a man named Zacchaeus he was a chief tax collector and was rich and he was seeking to see who Jesus was but on account of the crowd he could not because he was small in stature and so he ran ahead and he climbed up into the sycamore tree to see him for he was about to pass by that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And so he hurried, and he came down, and he received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood, and he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I will give to the poor. And if I had defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, Lord Christ.
3: We do give you thanks and praise Jesus that you died for us and rose again, that you reign over this church, that you reign over all things. Pray, Lord, that you would um, draw us closer to you as we draw near to you today um, uh, through the study of your word and through our prayers. We offer these prayers in your name, Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. So a couple of weeks ago um, at a Church of the Cross um, staff meeting, um, we were um, considering together and sharing together the answer to the question of sharing someone um, in our life who had had a sort of a significant spiritual impact on us, positive, I should say, positive <laughs> spiritual impact on us, someone who had really impacted our faith, our lives in Christ. And when this question was uh, brought up and I was thinking about sharing it, a number of people um, came to mind who have positively impacted my faith. At the top of the list would be my wife, Molly, and I could think of many others. Uh, But the person I ended up sharing about was someone who I actually really only knew closely for about a year and a half. I was Pastor Peter Larson. He was the pastor of the church that I did an internship at um, at the end of my um, seminary studies. Um, and I ended up just growing in all sorts of ways under Pastor Peter's leadership. Um, again, I grew in sort of ministry experience because uh, he was the type of leader who he would just give me jobs that I had no idea what to do and just let me do them and let me learn from my failures. I got stretched a lot um, in working at that church and working alongside of him. He was always ready to process things with me. He was available to, uh, he'd invite me to all sorts of meetings and have me sit on them and then we'd talk about them afterwards and he'd be very open about saying, oh, I didn't handle that well or that went well. And so I grew a lot of ministry experience But really, even more so, I grew in my faith. We actually, the church went through a pretty significant crisis while I was there. As I saw the way he sought the Lord in that crisis, the way he hung on to the Lord and his goodness and faithfulness built me up in my faith. And as I think about it, I think when I came into that relationship again, it was an internship. I knew I had a lot to learn. I'd never worked at a church before. I came with the knowledge I need to change. There are ways I need to grow, right? I need to develop. And I think that attitude coming into that relationship put me in a place that I was ready to grow, and I really did grow. And I was able to receive many of the things that Peter Larson was able to offer to me, both as, again, a, a supervisor, but also just as a, a, fellow, a fellow Christian, a fellow follower of Christ, We're considering our mission statement uh, this fall and our values. And so we're on the sort of second part of our mission statement, that we seek to be a church where we encounter Christ, where we are changed by Christ, and we introduce Christ to others. So we're thinking today about being changed by Christ. It's sort of generally agreed, right? And this comes up at times in uh, premarital counseling when I do that with folks. And when you come into a relationship, whether it's a marriage relationship, whether it's a friendship You should be wary of coming in with sort of an agenda to change the person you're in relationship with. If you're thinking, well, I'm going to marry them, but that's because I'm going to change them to become more and more a better person and more and more a suitable spouse to me, that's a problem, right? If we come into a friendship like, oh, this is a great friendship, but my agenda is to change them, then we're going to end up treating that person like a project as opposed to a real person that we're growing in relationship with. But having acknowledged that, I would also say that coming into a relationship, if our attitude is Maybe I'm going to change from this relationship. There are probably ways that I need to grow. There are ways that I need to mature. There may be things I'm doing um, that aren't helpful that I can grow and learn to be more helpful. That, I believe, is a great attitude to come into a relationship. We're always growing, right? There's always new things for us to learn. And to say, I want to change, I believe, is a, a good thing. And so in our mission statement, when we talk about being a place where people are changed by Christ... That's not coming from a place of, oh, we're so horrible and we should be all filled with self-hatred and God doesn't love us as we are. No, of course not. That's saying because God loves us, because we are wonderfully and fearfully made, because we want to get freer and freer from the effects of sin, we want to change, to become more and more actually true to who we are. The change that Jesus brings is, again, a greater alignment into his plans for us, a greater alignment into our identity in him. As we receive change from Christ, again, we become more and more ourselves, our unique selves, and the Lord wants that. And so I want to consider this call to be a place, to be a community where we are changed and where we experience Christ's change in us as we experience this change that happened to Zacchaeus, right, in our um, gospel reading. I know some of you are thinking, man, I was hoping you were going to talk about Jonah, that weird passage that ends with cattle, like what's going on there? That is a great passage. We uh, we should do a study of Jonah um, sometime. It's a wonderful one. Uh, One of our members after the first service said, you know, I looked at Jonah, I was like, that guy is stuck, and I get stuck too. So (laughs) there's a lot to say about that passage, but we're going to look at another person who was stuck, um, Zacchaeus, who again uh, encountered um, the Lord in a powerful way. The first thing that we can say as we think about the change that Zacchaeus experienced, which also I believe we can experience in the Lord and do experience in the Lord, is that Zacchaeus was someone who was seeking and who was being sought. He was seeking Jesus, and Jesus was seeking him. I believe that's true, actually, of each one of us, that we are seeking Jesus, whether we know it or not. And the fact that you're here today suggests to me that you know you're seeking Jesus. But also, we are being sought by Jesus. Jesus is seeking us. And so, what do we see? So, we, we're told Jesus is passing through Jericho. There's a man named Zacchaeus. He's a chief tax collector, and he was rich. So, right away, we know, and you're probably familiar with this, that he was not popular among the people. Tax collectors, for one thing, worked for the Roman you know, government, the, the Roman Empire, and therefore they were basically traitors, right? They were working with the occupying force. And so, people would look at tax collectors and thought, you know, they're not loyal to Israel. They're more loyal to the Roman Empire, right? Even though they're fellow Jews. So he was suspect in that way, and again, the reason tax collectors were rich, not only because they were working for the Roman Empire, but because it was just well known that tax collectors would keep some of those taxes that they collected for themselves, that they would take a cut, as it were, and often would take a large cut. And so when it tells us he's rich, he was probably rich because he ripped a lot of people off. He took their money, right? The fact that he was a chief tax collector, he probably ripped off other tax collectors, right? Because he had authority over them. So he's probably well known, but not popular. And we were told he was seeking to see who Jesus was. He so wants to see who Jesus is. He so much, so much wants to get a glimpse of Jesus that he climbs this tree to see him, which had to be kind of a vulnerable thing, right? I mean, now everybody can see you. You're not a popular person. You're, you know, basically disliked by everyone. And yet you're willing to take the risk of sitting up in a tree just to see Jesus. And why is he seeking Jesus? Why is it so important for him to see Jesus. Well, it doesn't tell us, but we can make some guesses, right? You probably heard about Jesus. Maybe you heard that Jesus does miracles and thought, man, I want to see a miracle. I want to see a blind man given sight. I want to see someone who was paralyzed, you know, stand up and walk. Maybe you had heard Jesus is an incredible teacher, right? He had heard nobody teaches with authority like Jesus. Maybe you had heard, you know, Jesus actually acts in kindness and love towards tax collectors, I heard one of his disciples, one of his 12 disciples is a former tax collector. Maybe Zacchaeus was very interested to see this. I wonder if Zacchaeus actually had heard, you know what, Jesus, he loves to confront religious leaders. He loves to confront the Pharisees. And maybe Zacchaeus thought, ah, I want to see someone else getting confronted, right? People are always confronting me about my sin. I want to see Jesus confront someone else. Whatever the reason was, we can probably also speculate and have a good guess that there was a deeper seeking that was happening there. Maybe he would have said, I'm just seeking Jesus because he's really popular. But underneath that was, I'm seeking Jesus because I want to know that God cares about me. I want to know that God cares about his people. I want to know, is there a possibility, right, for me to be forgiven? Is there a possibility for me to be restored, right, as a child of Abraham? I just assume, right, underneath that desperate desire to see Jesus was some deep, deep need. Maybe the Zacchaeus wasn't even able to name but he could feel it there, right? Is God for me? Perhaps was the question Zacchaeus was wondering. And my suggestion would be, based on what I read in the scriptures, that everyone is seeking Jesus. Again, whether they know it or not, right? And we know that, right? I assume most of us know that, right? That I need Jesus, I need what he offers. But I would suggest that even those who don't know Jesus, who have no interest in Christian faith, are seeking him. Maybe they're seeking him because they're looking for meaning for their life. Maybe they're seeking because they desperately want to know, do I belong to anyone? Does God care about me? Could I ever be forgiven for the bad things I've done, for the things that I feel this heaviness about? Again, I believe everyone we meet, everyone we interact with is seeking Jesus in some way, whether they know it or not, because Jesus brings hope. He brings meaning, right? He brings mission. He brings forgiveness. He brings grace. He brings the assurance that God truly is for you and offers you eternal life. He brings life, right? That's what people are seeking for, life in the face of death. And Zacchaeus was seeking Jesus, but what do we read in verse 10? For the son of man, Jesus speaking of himself, came to seek and to save the lost. And who are the lost? That's all of us apart from Christ, right? That's us. That's the world apart from Christ. And Jesus is saying, I came to seek and to save. So Zacchaeus is seeking him and Jesus is seeking Zacchaeus, right? He calls him by name. He stops under the tree, looks up at him and says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today, right? That must, I think is very important. This isn't just a good idea. This is my mission at this moment to come and to stay in your house, Zacchaeus. I am seeking you out. And again, that's what the Lord says to each one of us. For those of us who know Jesus and are seeking to grow in him, how good it is to know that the one we're seeking to grow in, the one who we are welcoming, the change that he wants to bring, he's seeking us, right? He continues to seek us out. He continues to initiate towards us, even as we seek him. And how good it is to know that those we interact with, right, who again, whether they know it or not, who are seeking Jesus, that we know Jesus is seeking them. As we pray for those who are far from the Lord, as we seek to be a light, right? as we seek to represent Christ of the world, we do so to people whom Jesus is seeking. Right? We do it in partnership with him. He is seeking them even as they are seeking him. Many of you may be familiar with a a painting by um, uh, William Holman Hunt. Uh, It's called The Light of the World. Uh, You've probably seen a reproduction of it. Many prints of it are put up on church walls. And it shows um, Jesus. He's holding a lantern. He's at a a door. He's wearing a crown. And he's knocking on the door. The light of the world. Now, um, I learned uh, from my wife Molly that that piece actually has a companion piece. And the companion piece is called The Awakening Conscience. That's a very different painting. It shows a woman, she's sitting on a man's lap, but she's kind of getting up from this man's lap, and she's looking out um, at the viewer, basically. She's looking out at you as you look at the picture. And she has this look of sort of hope, right, and anticipation on her face. And when you look at the painting, you know um, this is not a picture of a married couple, right? This is actually a man and his mistress. She's probably, you know, what that time would have been called a kept woman, that basically he's paying her to be his mistress, there's, uh, in the corner of the painting, you can see a cat that's playing with a bird. And it's basically saying, this guy's the cat, and this young woman is the bird, right? Who he's sort of playing with, but actually she's in great danger, right? He means her harm. But she, again, is looking out, and you can see there's a mirror behind her. There's a reflection in the mirror, and you can see that what she's looking out at is an open door, out into beautiful nature. So it's a picture of her basically sort of anticipating I can leave. I can be free of this, right? There's an awakening that's happening, right? I need to walk out that door away from this man, away from this you know, abusive relationship. And again, that was meant to go right alongside the picture of Jesus knocking on the door. And so there's Jesus, he is seeking, and this woman, she is seeking, right? And Pullman Hunt, again, and putting those two paintings together is saying both are happening at the same time. We're seeking freedom, we're seeking um, grace. And Jesus is seeking us out. He is knocking at the door. He is bringing grace to us. And so, um, Zacchaeus, he seeks and he is being sought. The second thing we can say that we see in the, uh, the ministry that Jesus brings to Zacchaeus is Jesus knows our unique needs, he knows our unique personalities, he speaks to us as unique individuals. Now again, we all share a similar need, right? We all need salvation. He came to seek and to save the lost. Like I said, that's all of us apart from Christ. So there's a shared need that we have, and yet there are unique needs that we feel that point to that shared need, right? There's unique ways in which we are experiencing our lostness. There are unique ways in which we are being called to grow in Christ, and Jesus knows that, and he recognizes us as unique individuals, right? I mean, How did he work with Jonah, right? With a plant and a worm, right? That's unique, right? And we see that throughout the scriptures, right? That Jesus doesn't treat us as sort of cookie cutter, right? That we all sort of get the same treatment, even though we all have, again, the same basic need. But he honors the individual and he cares about the individual. He calls Zacchaeus by name. A great contrast in comparison to Zacchaeus actually takes place just a few paragraphs earlier in the Gospel of Luke, as Luke um, tells the the story of the ministry of Jesus, It tells about another encounter that Jesus had with another wealthy man, right? That one, we don't get his name. He's just called a ruler. He's often referred to as the rich, young ruler. And that man comes to Jesus and he says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus doesn't say to him, I must stay at your home today. Jesus says to him, you know, the commandments, you know, what do the commandments say, right? You know, don't murder, don't steal, honor your mother and father, The man replies and he says, those I have done since I was a youth. And so then Jesus says to him, one more thing you must do. Sell all your belongings, give them away to the poor. You will store up uh, treasures in heaven and come follow me. And we're told that the man felt very sad because he had great wealth. Now we can read that and then we can read Zacchaeus and we can say, wait a second, like Zacchaeus gave away half, which is great, but still he didn't give away everything. And he made a, you know, a pledge to give, you know, to restore fourfold. But why didn't Jesus say, no, 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 like my rule is you have to give away everything and come and follow me because that's not actually the rule for everyone. That was the calling for the ruler. As I think of that ruler saying, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, today, I must stay at your home. The the sense I get from that ruler is he would have said, of course you want to stay in my home, right? I'm awesome, right? I'm rich. I'm a ruler, right? You know, I've obeyed all the commandments since I was a kid. Like he wouldn't have been surprised that Jesus wanted to stay at his home, but the ruler needed, my sense is, he needed to know, you need a savior. You're very impressed with yourself, right? You're rich, you're a ruler, you actually need to give away all your belongings. You need to come under my authority and follow me so that you realize your need for a savior. You realize actually you can't earn salvation through your obedience because you will fail. But that was the word for that man, right? And We can pray that, you know, he, he, you can hope that he, he returned to Jesus after he dealt with the sadness and he knew the freedom. but what does Zacchaeus need? Zacchaeus need to know you're loved. You actually are worth my time, Zacchaeus. I want to spend the day at your home. That was the word for Zacchaeus. That was the unique need he had in order to see, right, that he was loved by God. And of course, Zacchaeus experiences that and he turns away from his sin. And so again, we have a unique way in which the Lord ministers to us. I think that's important because I think sometimes we can look around at others. We can hear the testimonies of others and how God is working in their lives. And we can think, why didn't God work in my life that way? You know, when our staff was sharing about people who had impacted us, right? We could be thinking, well, I want someone like that in my life. You know, why haven't I had someone like that in my life? All right? And the Lord says to us, well, this is my plan for you. This is the way I've worked in your life. If you remember a, a great moment in the scriptures at the end of the gospel of John, after Jesus has risen from the dead, and he's uh, talked to Peter. It's when he asks Peter three times, do you love me? Do you love me? It's the really Peter's being restored to ministry after his denial of Jesus three times. But then Jesus says to him, hey, this is how you're going to die. It's kind of a strange moment, right? But he basically tells Peter, you're going to die in your service to me. And Peter, I right, was trying to make sense of this, and he sees John walking by, and he points to John, and he says, what about him? Right? Remember? And Jesus says, if I want him to stay alive until I return, what's that to you? Right? I love that Jesus said to him, what's that to you? Follow me. In other words, right? My plans for him are different from my plans for you. You need to follow me. You don't need to keep looking around being like, what about that person? What about that person? Not that we don't care how God's at working in each other's lives. We do care, right? That's key to community. I'll say more about that in just a second. But again, as far as how God is doing in our lives, We can come to that place, Lord, you know me. And maybe it's sometimes I'm mystified by how you're working in my life, but I can be assured, you know me as an individual. This is your work for me. And I don't need to envy others. I can receive what you give. But then the final thing, again, that we can say that we see here with Zacchaeus is as the Lord brings change, as he works in our life, it does overflow into the lives of others. So again, it does matter to us what God is doing in one another's lives because we benefit from it right? And as God does work in our life, others benefit from that. And so you have this group, right? These people, when they see Jesus being kind to Zacchaeus and saying, I'm going to come to your house today, they grumble. They're like, how dare he go to the house of a tax collector? But my guess is when they heard that, Jesus, that Zacchaeus was now going to give half of his, you know, money away to the poor, and that he was going to refund anyone, you know, four times what he owed them, my guess is that they stopped grumbling at that point. So they're like, hey, Jesus should eat with more tax collectors, right? If that means I'm going to receive some reimbursement for the ways I've been ripped off by Zacchaeus, great. Right now, I'm pro-Jesus meeting with tax collectors, right? I mean, that's, again, because as Jesus brings change, others are changed. Others are blessed. This is our vision. When we talk about church to be a place where people are changed by Christ, it's not about just us growing, although we want to grow, It's about us growing for the sake of others, right? As as we receive, right, that overflows in the lives of those around us. It overflows, may it so, right, into our community, into our neighbors, into our families' lives. This is what happens as the Lord brings change. Others are changed, right? It's just a natural occurrence. I have a friend who, um, a couple years after he was married, went through kind of a major time of spiritual renewal and really coming back to faith. He had grown up in the church and had committed his life to Christ, but then had walked away from that. And again, at the time he got married, he had no interest in Christianity, no interest in in faith at all. Uh, But again, he went through this renewal a few years after he was married. And his wife was really upset by it. She was like, wait a second, I married a non-religious person. I married a person who um, was not a Christian. And now suddenly I'm married to this Christian. And again, as my friend was going through this renewal and this excitement of coming back to faith and coming back to the Lord, his wife was very worried about their marriage. And it ended up causing a lot of stress, right? I mean, she was saying, this is not what I signed up for. And Initially, there were lots of arguments. There was a lot of tension. And my friend tried to seek out, well, what do I do, right? I, I'm following the Lord. Shouldn't that make my marriage better? But it seems to be making my marriage worse. So he sought out counsel. He sought out the word of God. Eventually, he was reading Ephesians 5, which is, talks about a vision for marriage in the book of Ephesians. And he read, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And he read that, and he's like, well, that's, that's what I have to do. I've been asking, what do I do, Lord? Here's, here it is right here in black and white. What do I do? I should love my wife as Christ loves me, the church, a member of his church, and gave himself up for me. I need to love my wife sacrificially. And so he began to just pray, Lord, help me love my wife as you love me. Help me love my wife sacrificially. A number of months later, his wife came to him and she said, I have something I have to share to you. She said, when you got religion, right, that's the way she put it. When you got religion, right, I was freaked out. I thought this is the end of our marriage because I just assumed, oh, great, now I'm going to be married to someone who's judgmental, who's self-righteous, right, who's preaching at me all the time, who looks down on me because I'm a sinner and they're not. She said, instead, I feel like I'm married to St. Francis, She meant that as a compliment, uh, by the way. So you may say, is that a good thing to be married to St. Francis for her? It was. She was like, you're kind, right? You're actually kinder than you used to be. (laughs) Um, And I just feel like you're making an effort to love me, right? She experienced that change that the Lord was bringing in his life was overflowing into their marriage, right? Now, she's still seeking out and figuring out what she believes, but there's an openness now. And there's a warmth towards the Lord because, of course, there is, right? The Lord brought change to her husband that she's receiving, And I think for many people, when they look at the church, right, um, they think, oh, that's full of self-righteous people. That's full of people who, you know, look down on me as a sinner. And if they experience actually a a kingdom of saints, which is what we are, imperfect, right, but but saints seeking to grow in the Lord and seeking to offer the compassion of Jesus to others, they may be surprised. They may say, oh, why am I grumbling? Actually, that's a good thing. Even if I don't believe what they believe, that's actually a blessing to me. So let's pray for that. Let's pray that again, we would know the Lord's change, the ways he's growing us in him, the ways he is calling us to greater obedience for the sake of ourselves and our own freedom, but for the sake of those around us. I want to close in prayer, but as we pray, actually, I want us to engage our imagination to kind of stay in this story um, for a few more minutes. And so I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, um, if you will. And again, I I want us to imagine and sort of put ourselves in the place of Zacchaeus, right? But we're not Zacchaeus, we're ourselves. But imagine that you're there, I'm in Jericho. And again, it tells us that it was very crowded, that people were anticipating seeing Jesus. I just want you to imagine, like, what would it have been like to be in the midst of those crowds? What would it have sounded like? What would you have smelled? What would you have um, seen Imagine right, that you um, see a tree and you climb up that tree. Again, we're imagining. Some of you may say, I don't climb trees anymore. And this, you do. Right? Imagine you climb that tree and you get to a branch where you're able to see above the crowd and you're watching for Jesus. Maybe you um, see him um, coming with his disciples down the road. And we just imagine what does what Jesus' interactions with people look like? What does it look like to see him coming closer to you? And as you imagine that, imagine that Jesus draws closer and closer, and then he stops right in front of where you are, right in front of this tree. And you're thinking, okay, he's going to pray for somebody. He's going to teach. He's going to say something. And then he looks up and stares directly at you. Now, how do you feel at that moment? <laughs> and Jesus is looking at you, and the crowd is looking at you, and then he says your name. And let's just ask the Lord, Lord, what would you, what would you speak to me? What is a, a word you have for me today? Lord, we thank you that you know each one of us. You know our needs. You know our struggles. You know our sins. And you love us deeply. Pray, Lord, that we would have open ears to, to hear you calling our name and to respond to all that you call us to. And we ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.